Today's reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, through chapter 7, verse 1. And it can be found on page 967 in your pew Bibles. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, If you're new to Calvary, uh, you don't know me. My name is John Lambeth, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, It's good to be with you this morning. And um, one thing I said in the first service is studying this passage all week helped me really feel a sense of appreciation for our church and our church family. And I hope you feel the same way by the end of our time together this morning. But it, it made me feel very grateful to be here and be a part of what God is doing here. So thank you so much for uh, your love to me and my family for the last five years. Uh, Our friend Joel Miles uh, just moved to Canada. Um, You remember Joel from this last year. Um, He was a real blessing to us and to me um, as a church and me personally. And one of the things he he blessed me with in the last year was an appreciation of Leslie Newbigin, who was a famous uh, missionary and theologian of the 20th century, and that's who Joel is writing his dissertation on. Um, and Leslie Newbegin spent much of his time writing about how we as a church in the 20th century could have a missionary encounter with the secular West. Um, and he, he spent all this time thinking about ways in which we can make the gospel understandable to the culture we find here today in the West. And so I wanted to share a quote by Newbegin, which I think summarizes his thoughts well and leads... Uh, nicely into what we're going to be looking at this morning. He writes, I've come to feel that the primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact on public life is the Christian congregation. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible or believable, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? I'm suggesting that the the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and who live by it. And what Newbegin is saying is that the only thing that's ultimately going to explain or interpret our gospel of God coming down to be a king who dies on a Roman 
cross and then raised from the dead and all that that entails and implies, the only way that's ever going to make sense is a congregation of people who live as though it were true. There is no more powerful explanation of the gospel than a church that believes it and is formed by it. So we as the church then are the tracks that we, that we like to pass out. We are the tracks that God has passed out to the world. The people should be able to read us as Calvary Memorial Church and the individuals here and make sense by the way we live of the gospel that we proclaim. And that's why it's so essential that we as a church live out a consistent story. And this is why Paul is so concerned about what is happening at the church in Corinth. So before we dive into that, I want to pray for us really quickly, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we ask that you would draw near now by your spirit into our community, into our midst, and speak into our hearts, that you would soften the areas of our hearts that need to be softened and convict us where we need convicting. And ultimately, Lord, lead us into a deeper fellowship and connection with you and one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you're kind of newer to the series and you don't know what's going on, here's a quick context summary. The situation in Corinth is that a minority of the church has begun to doubt Paul's legitimacy as an apostle. They have been seduced by the teaching of this other group of teachers in Corinth, whom Paul calls the super apostles, who are living and teaching a very different message than the one that Paul is teaching. So while Paul talks openly about his own suffering and is open about how faith in Christ doesn't remove us from the pain in this world, Paul's opponents in Corinth are promising deliverance from pain and suffering in this life. Paul works for free. Paul's opponents charge to be listened to. They boast in their appearance and their talent. Paul boasts in his weakness. And they, with their letters of recommendation, their great gifts of public speaking, and their mockery of Paul's ministry are gaining ground in the church, and they're starting to lead people away from Paul and his gospel. And so as we pick up here at the end of chapter 6, we see that Paul is calling the church in Corinth to open wide their hearts, as we saw last week, to the true apostles, and also, here in our passage this morning, to avoid the unequal yoke that these opponents are trying to put around their neck. Paul wants the people in, of God in Corinth united around this one true gospel. He's concerned that the church is not divided within herself, but is united as a pure temple where God can dwell. So Paul's point here, as we're going to see, is a less focused on outsiders and is mainly focused on the fellowship of the church community with one another and their allegiance to the true gospel that Paul preaches. As one commentator summarized the passage, he said, Paul does not have in view the life of the church in the world, but the life of the world in the church in this passage. So he's focused on, is the world getting into the church and creating division? That's Paul's uh, concern. So Paul doesn't see the church as a commune removed from the world, but as an outpost right in the middle of culture. It serves as a witness to the gospel message. And it's essential that these outposts of the gospel are united behind the gospel that Paul has taught so that the world can correctly 
hear and see the salvation that Christ offers. So this is really a gospel issue. So with that in mind, to set up a little bit of context, we're going to look at three questions about this passage, which I think will help us kind of hone in on Paul's big point. And then at the end, we're going to have three or four points of application. So first, three questions to kind of help us understand what Paul is talking about here with the yoke. So the first question is, what is this yoke? That before we even get to the idea of being unequally yoked, what does it mean to be yoked? And uh, if you're familiar with this, you've probably heard it before in the Bible, but yoking at its most basic level is a way of attaching two or more animals together, usually with a wooden device uh, across their shoulders that would allow them to pull together on a heavy load. And so yoked animals can pull things that they would not be able to pull by themselves. So think about oxen pulling a plow or horses pulling a carriage. Um, And so it's worth pointing out here at the beginning that Paul wants us to be yoked. He does not imagine the Christian life as a solo enterprise where we pull uh, the rope of discipleship alone by ourselves. But he sees it as a joint effort, a community effort. We follow Christ in community with the help of community. So when we think about being yoked, the first yoking that might come to your mind uh, that happens to us as Christians is when we put our trust in Christ for salvation and we take on the easy yoke that Jesus offers us, which is what he calls it in Matthew chapter 11. He says, any of us that feel heavy laden, uh, worn down and torn down by our sin and the hardship of life, can lay aside that burden and take on Jesus's yoke. He'll come right next to us. I love how the, the message puts it in Matthew 11. Jesus says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And I love that. Jesus calls us out of a place where we feel overwhelmed and beat down by our sins and our failures, and he begins to teach us these unforced rhythms of grace that come by joining his yoke. But God is not content to leave us only yoked to his son. He wants us yoked to his people, to each other. So this is where the picture of the temple comes in, in verse 16 in our passage, if you see that verse. Paul is saying that in our being yoked to one another, we are being fit together like stones, and we become this profound thing, this new temple where God dwells by his spirit. Which is why Peter will later write, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And as you may remember, the the temple idea goes all the way back to Genesis, where we see that God is present with his people in the Garden of Eden, which is this garden temple where God would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, as it says in Genesis chapter 3. And then later, God's presence fills the tabernacle, And then finally, the the temple built by Solomon, which sets these places apart as holy or sacred unto the Lord. And so Paul quotes this passage from Leviticus in verse 16 and says that God is once again walking among his people. He's fellowshipping with them again in this new rebuilt garden temple, which is his church, his people. So we are yoked to Christ in salvation, number one. And number two, we're yoked 
to one another in, in a way that makes us a place where God is pleased to dwell by his spirit. And then one last point when you think about the basic idea of being yoked is that you would never just yoke an animal and like leave it wandering around the farm. You yoke animals together for a purpose or for a mission. So uh, the final idea behind yoking is that we are sent somewhere to do something. And it's interesting that in this passage we're looking at this morning, in verse 17, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52, which is telling the story of this second exodus that God's people are going to experience when their exile to Babylon is coming to an end. So in, in this prophecy, God says that just like how he set his people free from Egypt, he is going to set them free again from captivity in Babylon. And just a few verses before this in Isaiah 52, you have the famous line you may know it, where it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news that tell of salvation. And so what is this good news in Isaiah? It's that God's people have been set free from Babylon and are heading home to the promised land once again. And so the journey is beginning, and Isaiah says, touch nothing unclean. And to summarize, he says, get out of there as fast as you can. Go home. So the idea of being released from this exodus into this journey. God yokes his people together, frees them from captivity, and sends them towards home. And Jesus also speaks of one more exodus, the third exodus, as you will. On the Mount of Transfiguration in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, he's with Elijah and Moses. And they're talking about the exodus, which was, he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So this third and final exodus is accomplished by, for the people of God by Jesus' uh, atoning work on the cross. Which is why the next passage in Isaiah, after the passage quoted here, is the passage about the suffering servant. That's Jesus. Um, and so we find ourselves in this third and final Exodus. That's where Paul is making this connection. We've been set free. We are heading towards home. And we need to join together and get one another across the finish line. That's Paul's big idea behind being yoked. So this, this year for our new Wednesday night children's program, we call it Midweek now, uh, Janice uh, did a skit each night based around the, a children's version of the book Pilgrim's Progress. And so in this version of the story, the, the main character, Christian, is a rabbit. Uh, and he's going off on this journey from the city of destruction toward the celestial city. And he would not make it alone. It's clear that he would not make it alone. The journey's way too hard. And so he needs his friends. And so he meets, uh, the first friend he meets is, is Faithful, who's a groundhog. Um, and then he meets Hopeful, who is a mouse. And they're making their journey all the way to the celestial city. And many times on his journey, Christian is ready to give up and turn back. But because he isn't alone, because he has yoke fellows, if you will, uh, he makes it. He keeps going. Uh, and there's one really touching scene at the end of the story, which if you've read it, you're familiar with. But Christian comes to the very last obstacle before the celestial city, which is the river of death. And he's terrified, which makes sense. So he's looking at the river of death, and he just panics. And uh, I love this part because his friend Hopeful takes him by the hand and um, walks them into the river of death. And it's a really beautiful moment in the story. Um, and I think what the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, is trying to capture is that we need friends to make it all the way home. 
The Christian life is not a solo enterprise. We are yoked to each other. And we're sent towards the promised land, connected with one another where God comes and dwells in the midst of us. So this is this great Christian vision of koinonia. You've heard the word for fellowship, koinonia. So another way to say it is picture a rowing team. You have eight people in this boat, and they're all rowing perfectly in sync with each other. They're aligned in their efforts and in their goal. Every stroke is efficient. It's going somewhere. It's on purpose. They're looking out for one another. That's what it means to be yoked. And that is God's vision for us as Christians. Okay, so that was the first one. What does it mean to be yoked? Uh, Before we can think about being unequally yoked, we need to understand being yoked. And then the second one, again, before we get all the way to unequal yoking, uh, I want to I talk about what Paul is not saying in this passage. What Paul is not saying. Paul isn't, in this passage, telling us to form some sort of Christian commune or to no longer interact with friends who are not Christians or um, to go behind some kind of Christian gated community and just wait for Jesus to come back. You may have heard this passage used to argue for some kind of Christian bubble, but that runs contrary to so much of what Jesus and Paul modeled for us on earth. Jesus was called a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And Paul is eager throughout his letters to become like the Jew for the Jew and like the Gentile for the Gentile in order to be able to share his life in Christ with them. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is focused on those who are inside the body of Christ at Corinth, who are leading people astray. He calls them unbelievers here because they're teaching a false gospel. And he urges those faithful to him in the church to make a clean separation. But Paul's heart towards those outside the church is consistently urging us to engage and to befriend and to show them the love of Christ. Uh, listen to this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which is a little bit longer, but it's really relevant for, for this point. Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy uh, and swindlers or idolaters, because then you would have to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to each with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So Paul is very clear here in 1 Corinthians that he doesn't think our goal is to go outside of the world. Jesus has put us as a church community here as an outpost of the gospel, not as a gated community hiding the gospel. So we are not called to retreat. We're called to lean in. And uh, so that means that yoking is not being friends with a non-Christian or being around people different than us. Um, That's not what it means to be unequally yoked. Jesus calls us to share his story with others as we are going, as it says in the Great Commission. So in our daily encounters in the world around us, we are supposed to be uh, telling the story of Jesus with people who don't know it. So that's what Paul isn't saying, which finally gets us to the last, the last point. What is Paul saying? So we'll, we'll, we'll stop here and kind of get the idea behind this passage. So when Paul says, don't be unequally yoked, 
He's using a Greek term that is uh, heterozygous. Heterozygous, kind of sounds familiar. Uh, which one commentator wrote could be translated as to pull the yoke in a, a different direction than one's partner. So to pull in a different direction than one's partner. That is the unequal yoke. And so Paul is saying for us to not bind ourselves in deep connection to those who are pulling in the exact opposite direction. And remember, the immediate context of, of, this, of these so-called super apostles, or maybe it's better to say anti-apostles, is that some people in the church at Corinth had attached themselves to these anti-apostles, and, and it was ripping the church apart. It would be like having a, a rower in your rowboat who's facing the wrong way and rowing the wrong direction. Or it would be like having a dog sled team where you hook up six dogs going one direction and four dogs going the opposite direction. And what you would be at risk of is ripping the sled in half. And that's what Paul is worried about. He uses these extreme examples in verses 14 through 16 to make the point that you're going to rip the church in half because you're yoking yourself to people who are going the wrong direction, unequally yoked. So look what he says. He says, what koinonia or fellowship is there between light and darkness? None is his answer. Or how about Christ and Satan? Here Satan is called Belial, which means worthless. Do they have anything in common? No, they don't. That's Paul's answer. So the unequal yoke is not a mature Christian dealing with an immature Christian. It's not us interacting with people in our community who aren't Christ followers. Avoiding the unequal yoke means avoiding those places of deep spiritual connection with people who are not aligned with Christ and his calling or who are going to pull you and rip you in the opposite direction. And remember, we are all worshipers. Christians and non-Christians, we're all worshipers. We are made to be worshipers. So that's why Paul says in verse 16 that the unequal yoke is ultimately pulling us in the direction of worshiping something other than God, which is called idolatry. So anything that is worshiping something other than God ultimately is idolatry. And so these anti-apostles in Corinth were offering the idols of wealth and health and power and prestige. And Paul's saying, don't fall for it. Don't add these things to the gospel. Don't add to Jesus. And know that when you bear the suffering and shame of the calling of being a Christian, you're bringing forth eternal fruit. So don't be led astray. Don't attach your soul to people who are pulling you back to Babylon. But instead, find a team of rowers, that's what Paul would say, who, is heading, who are heading towards Jerusalem and get on that boat. Um, so that's kind of the big idea. I want to take us to the end by looking at three or four points of application and then ending with some, some gospel hope. And I want to focus on why this idea is really hard for us in a lot of ways as Christians. Why is it so hard to be yoked and avoid the unequal yoke? I think the, the first reason this is a challenge is because we don't feel the need for equal partners in our rowboats because we're not trying to go anywhere, right? We are laying down and sunbathing in our boats and we're just drifting. That's why this passage can feel a little bit strange. Some of us might feel like, hey, chill out, Paul. It's not that big of a deal. But remember, the basic idea of being yoked is to share the joy and the pain 
of the work God has called us to do. This is the idea of koinonia, the Greek word fellowship, which means this deep camaraderie that Christians are called to in the world as they take on the evil of the world. So it's a fellowship of a common goal and common suffering. This is the fellowship that soldiers uh, at war who are about to hit the beaches of Omaha might feel, or that the marchers in the civil rights movement are about to face the dogs in Birmingham, Alabama might have felt. So when you take the Christian life seriously and you realize God's calling you somewhere, you realize you're going to need some serious help, some serious support. So that's perhaps the first reason this can fall flat, that we find ourselves in seasons where we lose a vision for where we're going. And we just kind of lay down and we're drifting, right? We're drifting towards whatever stirs in our hearts and we don't feel the need uh, to, be, to be yoked. I think the, the second reason this is a challenge is because, as we looked at last week with Pastor Eric, we struggle to open ourselves up to being connected with other Christians. So we struggle to open up our hearts. Um, and so being rightly yoked means opening wide our hearts to other people in the family of God. And some people are tempted to avoid being unequally yoked by just not being yoked at all, right? And that would be like, hey, that sounds great, Paul, but I'm just going to row by myself. I'll get there eventually. Uh, and so we avoid the unequal yoke by avoiding all yokes. But as Pastor Eric pointed out last week, that's not the posture God wants for our hearts. We need a smaller group of Christians in our lives who love us, and who want to go on the journey with us. And of course, at Calvary, we have ways of doing that with, with home groups and other small groups. But whatever way you can find and whatever way we can find, we have to find ways to open up our hearts again to those who can help us through the hurt and the wounds, perhaps wounds we experience in a church context, but bring us back into the Christian community God wants for us. So if the first reason is that we don't really want to go anywhere, the second reason this is hard is because it's just hard to invite people in. It's hard to let people into our, the, the, the wounded parts of our hearts. And then the third reason this passage is a challenge is because I think we can underestimate the ways in which we can be unequally yoked. So we don't always see the ways the unequal yoking can happen. We're on the lookout for somebody trying to trick us into something. But believe it or not, some Christians have had their worldviews formed by the culture and not the Bible. I know that's hard to believe, but it does happen out there. Um, and so you'll see that we have a temptation and a risk of being yoked to things in our present age. So not people, but sort of the culture. The cult people, but sort of the culture can yoke us and take us in the wrong direction. So a few examples. I've seen students who have yoked themselves to celebrities on Instagram, like Harry Styles and Taylor Swift join the boat and start rowing, and they take them off who knows where, right? Uh, I've seen adults yoke themselves to our culture's increasingly uncompelling and dysfunctional sexual ethic, which rows them into some really spiritually dead waters. I've seen others get yoked to endless political rage and nationalistic zeal, where they have a hard time even loving those who might have a different political opinion than them. And cable news hops in the boat and rows them into these storms of anger and endless outrage. And so we can be yoked to those kind of things. We can be yoked to the other idols of wealth, power, and importance, 
visions of an easy life. We can be yoked to entertainment. There are so many idols that we can be attached to that can jump in the boat with us. So remember Paul's warning. He says, don't be yoked to anything heading towards idolatry. Don't be yoked to anything heading towards idolatry. Instead, be formed by Christ, his word, his spirit, and his people. And then Paul will say, cleanse yourselves. And and the the last verse of our passage in chapter 7, verse 1. Cleanse yourself and turn back and go towards the original destination that God set you on. Go back towards Jerusalem. Whenever we feel these things taking us aside and steering the boat the wrong way, trying to turn us around back towards Babylon, the call on us is to not be unequally yoked. Don't row in the wrong direction with anyone else. Find people in your life and go back towards Jerusalem, where God is. Okay, so uh, I want to close with some, some gospel hope and some good news for us from this passage. And I think the key is that the, the, we have the promise that as we do this, we, as we are going, we have a family and we have a father. We have a family and we have a father. So look at again at verse 18. It says, Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall, be my son, you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So we aren't going on this journey in order to go find our family. We are going on this journey because we've already been found. We know that God will welcome us at the end of the journey because he's already welcomed us in Christ before we ever took off. That while we were enemies, Christ died for us. So before we could ever get to Jesus, he came to us. He redeemed us. He forgave us. He saved us. And as Pastor Gerald likes to point out, the great news is that he doesn't say, I'll see you when you get there, but he joins us on the journey for the entire way home. And that is our gospel hope. It isn't some kind of achievement thing. It's that we know that when we come together, God is with us by his spirit. Jesus is is with us on the journey. We share the easy yoke of Christ, and he's given us each other to get to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the people around us that uh, are the family you've given us for the journey. We, we pray that we can find those who will be yoked to us and help us along the way, that when life gets hard and when fear and failure and doubt take over, Um, we can lift each other up and and bring each other to the finish line of faith. Father, I pray that you show us where we've been unequally yoked, perhaps with some people in our lives, perhaps with some uh, things that the culture has offered us, and lead us away from that and back towards uh, your son and where he's calling us to go. We thank you, Lord, that you've not left us alone and not left us as orphans, but you've sent us our helper, your spirit, and that we experience Jesus Christ with us by your spirit each and every day. Uh, We know that you brought us safely thus far, and you will bring us home. We trust in that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.